You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Socolo, your host, and our focus is on mastering communication as an essential leadership skill so that you can command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal in any context. My guest this week is Skip Howard. Skip is the founder and CEO of Spacey, an artificial intelligence company that provides inventory insights for retailers. He's also the founder of Computer Visionaries, one of North America's largest computer vision developers group, and he's a member of the Dallas Chamber of Commerce's Innovation Task Force and the Dallas Smart City Board. For the last five years in a row, Spacey has been on the list of the Dallas 500 Most Influential Leaders in Business. I'm guessing Skip, in particular, has been on that list of Most Influential Leaders in Business. So with that, let's get to that influence today. Skip, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Now, before we get into all the tech stuff, what's your fun fact? Well, fun fact for me, I am adopted and I also adopted my oldest daughter. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. How old is your daughter now? She is 12 years old. Ah, So she is the boss now officially of the household. Yes, definitely in that tween phase. Let's say that. (laughs) And we're all very, very familiar with that from living through it the first time. And uh, often many of us, of course, on the other side now of that desk. So tell us a little bit more about Spacey. What is your 30 second elevator pitch? So when a customer goes to order groceries online and they go and they drive to pick them up, typically they're inaccurate. So we use artificial intelligence and combine it with robots to fulfill orders. So you get what you want as a shopper. It's great. It solves billion-dollar problems for the retailers and ultimately drives down costs for all the shoppers. Awesome. So when I'm ordering from my supermarket and they do random substitutions or they didn't put something in that should have been there or they something else, this will prevent that from happening as often. That is one of the problems we are solving. We want that to go away. So do we. So do we. I'm going to speak for everybody else out there. We do too. So love it. Then in doing that, now that part was certainly simple enough, but what's something that you wish more people understood about your role, your company, or your industry? And what's your personal role in changing that misperception? I would say that when I have to talk to clients, usually clients are expecting a really good message you know, about what we're selling, mm-hmm. but they're always looking for the risk. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to clients, I have to address all of the risks in order to lend credibility to what we're actually doing. And it's got to be truthful, right? Yes. It's to be plug and play, but you have to solve these problems. When I talk to founders of other groups, other entrepreneurs, I always try to get them to understand that there is friction between what they're trying to do and where they're trying to go. And in order to eliminate that friction, you don't need to just check the few boxes you know. You really need to see the problem from everybody's side, a holistic view. They need to align interests with what the client wants, what the person on the other side of the table wants, as well as what their own company wants. So it's just thinking through the problems. I think that's a common challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs face, people in sales, et cetera. They're so in love with their product. We want to talk all about it as opposed to thinking, okay, what are the concerns, the fears? What's the chink in the armor that the listener is looking for? Where's the yeah, but? And trying to predict ahead of time, what is the yeah, but that this prospective client might be 
waiting to share. And so do I have my objection handling line, so to speak, ready to go? Is this, am I understanding what we're... A hundred percent correct. It's not just the buyer who's sitting across from you. It's the CFO, like they're going to care. The CEO, the shareholders are going to care. And you have to line everything up. I mean, the health and safety people are going to care. And so when we're in there and we're selling technology, it's pretty easy for us to give a message. You know, hey, here's what we do and here's why. But if we're not sitting there answering all of the potential problems from all of these different viewpoints, you're just not going to go very far. Sure. And when you've shown that you've plugged all the holes before the boat launches off the dock, then you're going to get a lot farther from that. De-risks it. De-risking the assumptions. Yes. Yes. I love it. So, and I think that's a challenge, even not necessarily for entrepreneurs or for business owners or people in sales, but really anybody who is trying to propose an idea to propose that they want a promotion, to propose that there's a system shift or you want to try a different tact for this new project. People are going to look for the yeah buts. And when we can preemptively try to identify what's that yeah but that they might say, what's the pushback that we're going to get when we show up with the answer ready to go or just speak into the objection first, you might be wondering X, then it sort of rips the rug out from under it. Or is that just my hallucination? I agree. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, right? I'm not going to know everything that they're going to ask, but I've learned the more I immerse myself in the industry and see it from everybody's perspectives, the more you're going to anticipate those yeah buts. And I think that sets me apart and our company apart from a lot of other companies. It's not just a piece of technology we're selling. We're genuinely trying to solve problems and there's a lot more to it than a very simple message. Yes, especially when you're getting into super technical things like AI and whatnot, to assume that an answer can be answered or given in a super simple way. Look, ideally, if you can distill it down that simply, great, but be prepared for all those other angles, the unknowns of sorts. Now, in attempting to do that, did you ever think that you did a great job of explaining something only to have the listener look at you like a deer in the headlights? Well, I have some good news or bad news, depending on your perspective. Okay. I've not made a few mistakes. I have made thousands of mistakes. So mm. yes, I have a story where I did not do such a great job. <laughs> okay. And so one example is we were over in the state of Washington and there's a company there that's a very, very well-known large CPG, which is for listeners, that's a consumer product good. They're the suppliers okay. of these retailers. Got it. So we're over there. We're explaining our technology about how this technology is going to really elevate sales and customer experience. And, and we get this. This is good. Let's, let's get the SOW and get going. And the SOW for everybody else is the statement of work, the, the proposal of sorts. Okay. Get us the financial proposal with this. I mean, that's yep. as close as you get to a yes, right? at least in that stage. And so instead of like taking, because we did a really good job, like understanding what everybody wanted, instead of taking that, we kept pushing, right? Kept pushing. Mm. Oh, well, here's some more technical details you don't know about. And here's some more. Oh, and by the way, it can do X, Y, and Z. And instead of getting to an answer of, yes, let's move forward, the strokes got a little too broad. And mm. we introduced more risk by just talking, right? And explaining mm. even more things. And it wasn't all in the spirit of getting the sale closed. It was trying to get them to understand every single facet of our product, which is not necessary because the stakeholders across the table from us didn't care about all those products. That's somebody else's job in the organization, right? Yes. Knowing who you talk to really yes. matters. And there were so many points in there, Skip, that all just leapt out at me. I mean, number one, the last piece is forgetting who your audience is. And I think a common challenge that 
those of us who are passionate about what we're doing, we forget that not everybody's as passionate about our stuff as we are and that not everybody is as interested in the details and wants to know all the specifics. And so we get a little effusive in sharing all the other great bells and whistles that it has, all the other stuff it can do. And I forget who it was who said that, you know, when the client has bought or has said, yes, you can stop selling. And it's like, but there's more. You're going to even love this stuff more. And I but you mentioned that in adding all those extra, oh, but wait, there's more slices, dices and all those other fun things that you actually introduced additional information that while it was awesome in its own right, it raised flags for them or it introduced risks to them on another level. So in some ways, it was not only just slowing down the yes, it actually was counterproductive in many ways. Did that create problems that you then, did they rescind the request for the yes. statement of work? Lost the sale because to make it very real, the feedback was, oh, we didn't think about that. How is this going to be deployed and supported through IT, mm. you know, in a thousand locations? This sounds hard now. Instead of like all of the value that we're bringing, we started introducing all of the problems that come with it. And that was a wrong time, wrong stage, wrong audience, all of that. Because they're all overcomable. But uh, the people we were talking to didn't know any better. They just didn't know. All they saw were risks. So we lost the sale. Mm. And, and by the way, I'm going to add one quick thing. In my opinion, this is a technical founder's dilemma, right? We're very good with the tech. We understand what it does. We want everybody, like you kind of hit the nail on the head. We want everybody to be as passionate as we are. And not everybody cares about all of the technology. They care about solving the problem. So a principle I have learned that I apply is do not fall in love with the solution. Fall in love with the problem. Yes. And I'm trying to remember which book I read it in not too long ago also was don't fall in love with your product, fall in love with your client. Yes. That's well said. So it was yours at that point. And it really is, you know, what's the problem and the solution and not all the features, all the bells and whistles and technical details. People just want to know what the details do, not what the details are. And I think that's the key. But I'm glad we recircled back to that because it's not just about, oh, and then I kept doing this and then I embarrassed myself. No, we lost the sale as a result. There's high stakes involved in this. That's painful. So I'm sorry to hear that. I told you hundreds and honestly, it's probably thousands of mistakes. Yeah. Well, you know, why make the same mistake twice when there's so many new ones to experiment with, right? That's right. That wouldn't be so exciting. You got to have a little variety, a little spice of life. Now, what about a time when you needed to really assert yourself with power? So I'll tell you a quick story where I was the only person who decided that this was a good idea and the only one who said yes. And I'm talking about the only one. So there's a period of time in our company where we did not have a lot of funds. And mm -hmm. we attend this conference every year that basically feeds us all the leads we need for the entire year. And it's a very popular, very famous conference in New York City. And we're based in Dallas. And so we're used to spending, you know, $100,000, $200,000 for this conference because the lead quality and the sales that come out of that are pretty impactful. That's a lot because people out there who are thinking about attending conferences, they go, okay, it's a couple of thousand to attend, or maybe it's 10,000 for a small booth at a regional local conference of some sort, but you're talking about a six-figure investment. In, it's an in international conference that people from all over the world fly from, and they're pretty heavy hitters in the retail world. And it's fantastic, right? Mm. It is an investment. We're used to doing that. And so this period of time I'm talking about, we did not have very much funds. In fact, we had very little funds where our investors really strongly encouraged me not to go at all because we don't have the money for it. And instead of spending a couple hundred grand, 
I've decided to spend under $10,000. And I came up with this elaborate plan where we're going to rent a U-Haul. We're going to drive it ourselves because we're going to save on shipping. We're going to set up a grocery store there. We're not going to set up a booth. We're not going to go high dollar, high power international conference level. We're going to get a little more real and we're going to use all these deficits to our advantage in, in the programming world, they call it. It's not a bug, it's a feature, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to say, we're going to take all these problems. We're going to say, we did this on purpose in order to sell it a different way. And so we ended up setting a mock grocery store up that cost way under $10,000, including shipping and hotels and all of that stuff. And my entire sales staff was very against it. The feedback to me was, oh my gosh, you were going to devastate our brand. Do not do this. Let's just skip it and just say, hey, we had other priorities. There's so many messages we can say. And I said, no, we're going to go do this, guys. Thank you for your feedback. We're going to go do this. So I had the entire company, ops, marketing, all saying we couldn't hit deadlines, sales saying, please don't do this, investors saying, you don't have the money for it. We did it anyway. And it was wildly successful. In fact, at the conference, we had a lot of partners and clients come up and say, oh my gosh, this is the best one I've seen so far. I am yeah. like, oh my gosh, it's actually working. It I works. It was a risk. I knew it was a risk, but geez, like it was a home run, not just a single. That's amazing. And I just realized there's going to be times where sitting in the seat that I'm sitting in, I'm going to see things not everybody can see. And it's not so simple as trusting my gut. I'm using logic. I'm using reasoning. And I just had to make a decision to go pull it off. And I'm very glad I did. And I had everybody say, way to go. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. We pulled it off and, and everybody was giving me high fives at the end of it. So it was very, sure. very gratifying. And kudos to you for having that vision. That is the whole point, isn't it, of being a leader, is that a leader is somebody who, A, has a vision, and B, can get everybody else on board to see it and to execute it in a way that converts vision into reality. And you just did a great job of that. And even though at a certain stage, for whatever reason, people weren't able to envision the outcome as you envisioned it, most likely because it's grossly out of their comfort zone as far as anything that ever tried before and anything that had ever been done before. No one had ever seen something like that. No one had ever seen a demo that wasn't just on a screen or a, a very, very small scale. So to utterly create an environment as part of a booth or in lieu of a traditional booth of sorts, there's a huge risk in that. It's, dare I say, creative and I don't know that, that that's kind of a scary thought for many, many people, especially in these kinds of big investment spaces. So, you know, kudos to you for having that. And I love that nobody else thought it would work. And that's sometimes you're going to have to put your foot down and say, no, we're going to do this. Sometimes it's a gamble. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it doesn't. But when you have that vision, being able to really stand up for your idea, stand up to investors, put your own neck on the line. Say, look, I'm taking the risk. I'm taking the responsibility for this. Buck stops here, but it's going to happen. And it's great that everybody had fun with it. At what point, once it was set up, was there a turning point where suddenly the people who are part of your team there got it? Was it not until they saw it set up or was it after they started getting feedback or? It was slightly after it was set up. So once it was set up, the feedback was, wow, this looks a lot different than what I thought. We didn't actually have time to go do an entire mock installation so everybody could get comfortable. All the salespeople mm. could get comfortable. I mean, we even had to like have the driver stop and buy a television on the way to New York City, <laughs> right? You know, because we're kind of going a little too fast and furious. I knew what I needed. I, we had the vision, all of that, had tried to do some digital mock-ups, but it didn't translate. So once it was set up, I got the, okay, okay, maybe, maybe we're there. Maybe this is better than I thought. And then once we got the feedback of people like mine being blown, oh my gosh, 
this is a, where's the robot? Oh, I don't see it anywhere. Oh, there it is. I'm reliving the past here. Good. That is when it clicked. It was day one. That night, everybody was exhausted and it was just far exceeded everyone's expectations, all the salespeople's expectations. And so day two was lean in, major lean in, you know, partners bringing people by, oh, you got to see this, the best setup, all of that. So it it really started hitting home uh, morning of day two. And it was only a three or four day conference. It wasn't very long. No, but nevertheless, if you got three more days out of it, where the energy, I'm guessing, was very different on day two through four after the test of day one was passed with flying colors, then people are excited about it. My sales staff walked around like we had the best thing on earth and no one else did on day two. Nice. Pretty wild. That's great. That just very clearly solidified your space for yet another year as far as being on the Dallas 500 most influential leaders because you just demonstrated it perfectly with that example. Well, I hope, right? <laughs> well, it seems like you did because you just received relatively recently the announcement that, yep, fifth year in a row, which is awesome. So kudos to you. And I think that sounded like fun. So now they're going to trust you again next time you suggest something that sounds utterly crazy and undoable. It's like, all right, Skip, you're one for one. Let's see if you're going to keep batting a thousand. And with that, you challenged all of them. How about you challenge everybody else who's listening today? This is time for our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So can you talk to our listeners and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence? How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Yeah, this one's easy for me. I'm a giant nerd, right? And I'm an AI <laughs> nerd. So okay. I would love to challenge you if you have not gotten into generative artificial intelligence or, or Gen AI, they call it. ChatGPT, Bard, Microsoft Bing has one. Go, just go to openai.com, sign up for a free account and ask it to write a LinkedIn profile or write a resume for you. Just play with it. You can't break it. And you're going to be blown away if you have not played with this technology before. You're going to be blown away by what's possible. And the more you play with it, the more exciting it's going to be. But I would challenge you, please write a LinkedIn profile using it in See how you like that. All right. For people who have never gone anywhere near it, who that just sounds like saying, just go to the middle of Mongolia and build something there. It's like, do what? How would one go about it? Give us a prompt or two. Because really with, with any of those chat GPT kind of spaces, it's all about forming the prompt, asking the question correctly. So should they copy their main about me profile blurb and paste that in and then tell it to do something with that? How do they start? Let me start you off with a very high level. Obviously, you can get incredibly detailed and deep very fast, but at a very high level, go to openai.com, open the chat GPT prompt. It asks you to create a prompt, i.e. ask a question or whatever you want, and it'll give your output. So in that text box, you would say, I am now talking to chat GPT as if it's an interface. You have 20 years experience in HR writing resumes or writing LinkedIn profiles, right? Mm -hmm. My experience involves, and then bullet point your experience, just bullet points. So before we even go past that, just for people, again, who've never played with this, you're actually talking to ChatGPT as if it were a person. So you're assigning it an identity. You're saying, ChatGPT, you are, literally use the words, you are, meaning ChatGPT, you are an HR leader or professional resume, LinkedIn profile writer, take on that identity. And from there, then. But it's important to give it the whole persona. You have 20 years experience. Right. You're professional at writing it in this industry, something like that. And then you feed it information about yourself. Here's my bullet points about my LinkedIn profile. And then at the end of it, 
you say, now I need you to write a LinkedIn profile based on all of the information above that I fed you. And I wanted to perform in the top 100 LinkedIn profiles in this industry, something simple like that. And then hit enter and then watch it, write it. And then go back and tweak, tweak, tweak what you wrote before your prompt. That's what that's called, right? Your prompt until you feel like it really fits. And okay. that's it. it is not a complicated thing. It's a paragraph of text that you're feeding into the system. And just see what it spits out. Yes. Just play, play, play. You can't break it. That's the thing. I think everybody's afraid of doing it wrong. If you don't like what it spits out, hit delete, start over again. That's right. Okay. Beautiful. All right. That's fun. I think that's exciting. And a lot of people are going to go, Ooh, can I do that? That sounds scary. Not scary. Just try it. See what happens. You never know. All right. Lots, lots of fun. Now, what about nerves? What's the most nervous you ever felt before a presentation or a speaking engagement? And what communications related lesson did you learn from that experience? Yes, of course. Especially earlier on in my career, imposter syndrome was rampant. And Mm -hmm. I think everybody has a version of that. And so I'm super nervous when I'm going to go on stage. I'm going to talk about artificial intelligence. I've kind of become a decent presenter on real-time artificial intelligence versus generative artificial intelligence. And I am on stage with people or in the audience, there's people that have just amazing credentials, right? So of course, I'm super nervous when I give these when I first started. And then once I get going, I kind of know my stuff. And when I'm challenged with questions, I know my stuff. And that's really the key. I know my stuff, right? There's no reason to do that. And so instead of like worrying about, are people going to judge me for saying something wrong? or Their opinion is different than my opinion on this subject. My, my whole philosophy has shifted to just serve the people in the audience as if I wanted to be served and do not worry about being judged and don't judge them. Just be a servant of information and facts. And that shift has just taken all the weight and all the nervousness off. Realize that, yeah, I might have an expert opinion. It's still an opinion. And some people find a tremendous value in it. And that's what I'm trying to do, trying to just bring value. So that mindset shift really helped me. I think that's beautiful. The notion of that service. We talk about the servant leader. And in some ways, you could turn this around and and call it the servant speaker, the servant presenter, right? Because you are there as the speaker because you're recognized as someone who has value to add, who has knowledge others don't have, need, potentially want. And so you have one job and one job only, and that's to give it to them. That's right. That sounds like a title of a new book, The Servant Speaker. Oh, interesting. I'm going to write that one down now. Okay, all right. Let's see who writes. We'll collaborate on that one. We'll see about that. But I like that. What about a time when you needed to inspire others? What did you say or how'd you say it? How was it received? I don't think anybody who was in any kind of business during the time of lockdowns and COVID around the world came out with some scarring. I think everybody had a little bit of shock, right? I think that's an understatement. Yes. So we're going to go with a big yes. Okay, so continue. So during COVID, we are growing. The retail market's not exactly opening up to buy technology. When they are, there's not even people there to receive the technology, right? They're not allowed in stores. And Mm. I'm more talking about worldwide. Texas was pretty open at the time. So I adopted a philosophy to try to inspire people to not be scared about failing because it's going to be pretty easy. The world just shifted and it's going to be pretty easy to fail. So the philosophy was burn the ships, right? We're not going to keep doing it the way we were doing it. You're not going to get fired if you fail. You just need to try. We understand there's risk. The whole point in this new environment is learn, pivot, try again. So move fast, fail fast, fail forward, all of that fun stuff. But we're burning the ship. So 
I would say, in my opinion, how it was received was that it de-risked taking chances by the employees and they knew they weren't going to get fired just because they tried and failed. Now, if you're not learning those lessons and you're failing over and over and over on the same thing, that's not what we're talking about here. It's just taking the opportunity to try something new and not worry about your job. Right. Making those changes, taking different chances, trying different things, experimenting in different ways each time. Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So if that's something that people were doing, then they're missing the point uh, of what you were suggesting. And to anybody who's not clear on the expression, burn the ships, what does that mean to you and how did it apply in this context? I'm going to butcher the story, but there was an explorer who came to, I want to say South America, and it was a very long journey. And some of his sailors decided they might do a mutiny. And he got word that there might be a mutiny going on. And they, were one, they all want to sail home. They didn't want to be here. And so he took fire late at night while everyone was sleeping and burned all the ships. Said, we're either going to be successful in our mission or we're all going to die. And that is a pretty strong statement. So there's not a whole lot you can do. There's no going back. So we can't rely on what was working before COVID. Right? We're not going to do that. We are going to find the path. Burn the ships means stop doing what you were doing, stop coasting, find the path and get through it. And it's very, very difficult. Which is why when we're looking at, okay, burning the ships, that is a scary thought because now there is no going back. There's no plan B. This It is success, you know, all or nothing, at which point finding a way to mitigate the fear of failure in that space is really important if you don't want people to just freeze in their tracks. Right. Kudos to you for setting that tone and modeling the it's okay to try something that doesn't work. We're really all in a brave new world as it was at that point, particularly in COVID, where it was uncharted territory for everybody. We don't know what's going to work. We don't know what we're going to be allowed to do. We just got to, whether it's blindfold in a cigarette or otherwise, you got to keep moving forward and try stuff. That's great. And there was a lot of bumps. Me being the chief leader of messing up a lot. We messed up a lot, right? And that's okay. The only way to find the path forward is to keep stepping, even if you step on a rock here and there. That's right. Almost finally, we all have somebody that we'd love to ask for something, whether it's advice or support or a uh, just to have a cup of coffee and pick their brain, whatever it happens to be. But we haven't worked up the courage to ask. What's the time you really wanted to make that ask, but were afraid to do so? And how'd you finally pull the trigger? I worked for Ross Perot Jr. in Dallas for, I want to say, like eight years. And he's a very successful person. And people know his father from running for president. But Ross Perot Jr. is a salt-of-the-earth human being who is incredibly bright and surrounds himself by bright people. And he's the kind of guy I feel like he could go bankrupt and build it all back because he's so brilliant, right? And because of that, his personality is kind of larger than life. Mm -hmm. And working for him was always intimidating to go approach him, even though on the other side of the table, he was super approachable. He loved talking to people. He still does, right? As far as I know. And so as I was leaving to go start this company, I got to know him a little bit in the company as I was helping build their media department, all of that. And then you were preparing to leave his company to go and start your own. I was leaving the company to start my own, Spacey. And a friend of mine who was the CIO for Ross Proge Jr. said, you need to see what Skip is doing. And so Ross, I got in touch with him and I was able to talk to him and share what I was doing. And as I'm about to ask him, like, we need investment, he jumped the gun and said, Skip, I want to invest. And it didn't happen right away, but he is one of our investors through one of his entities 
Perot Jane with another fabulous business partner he has. But that was scary, amazing. And then, you know, I had to just zooming out. He's a man who puts on his pants the same way all of us do. <laughs> he's not trying to be intimidating. He's just that kind of comes with the job. And he's a fantastic person you can talk to. So I try to remember that and apply it to a lot of other folks that I used to be intimidated by. Or if I think I'm going to be intimidated by somebody, it's these are people doing the same thing that I'm doing, right? They're trying to make the world a better place in a different way. And the worst they can say is no, not available, not interested in investing. Good luck with that, whatever it happens to be. But it's unlikely that they're going to bite your head off or the floor is going to open up and swallow you whole for initiating. So, you know, you got lucky. It sounds like that your friend or your colleague took the initiative and made that connection for you. But it looks like in hindsight also, you needn't have held back for so long. You really could have just walked up and who knows, I mean, it worked out for you pretty well at that point, but you didn't need to be as hesitant. No, in hindsight's twenty twenty. I could have talked to him at any point. He's that kind of a person. Mm. And the lesson for me was don't be intimidated. Every single person on earth has a job to do. And the great leaders want to help make the world better, want to work with people they respect and like, and they want to listen to employees, right? So that was something that stuck with me ever since I left. And I think that's really a beautiful reminder that the difference between a boss and a leader, or one of the many differences between a boss and a leader, that leaders really do want to help others become leaders. They want to help others grow and flourish and find themselves and find their passions and live their best lives, ideally for the company they're in, but if not, then somewhere else. So when in doubt, ask. And it's kind of a good litmus test in many ways to see what kind of a leader you really are working for. That's right. Well, time to have a little bit of fun. Last minute or so, Skip, what's something you do to create a little bit more fun for Spacey? Yeah, this is another lesson kind of by accident that I think works really well for us. So we are very AI developer heavy and we have, there's not so many of those in the world, right? And a general problem for technology companies, especially smaller tech companies, you join those companies as a developer in order to see your changes take place. You're not just a cog in a machine in a giant corporation, right? Your work really matters, like really matters to everything. So one of the things I do that I found everybody loves is field trips. We take developers, we take technical leaders, and we take low-level interns out to the field to see the technology working for themselves and talk to store managers about it. That changes the game because it becomes super real and the buy-in goes from like, yeah, we really like this to off the chart. It sounds like it's very related to the booth at the trade show example, that when it becomes real and people see it in action, see it applied, see the manifestation of everything they're working to create in code or in anything else for that matter, but behind the scenes, that reality is, is like, oh my gosh, look what we did. That's right. It's, it's tangible in this case. And that that's, makes it exciting and inspiring. That's exactly right. Beautiful. I love that you get to take people on field trips because from the time we were in kindergarten, we all love going on field trips. That's right. So you have to be able to, you know, feed the goats at the petting zoo or something along those lines. It's a lot of... A <laughs> little different this time, but yeah, same vein, right? But you're out in the field, you get to do something and it's fun. That's the key. That's the key. Just get out from behind the desk. So Skip, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. How can people learn more about you and Spacey? Just go to Spacey.com. That's space with two E's.com. And if you want, connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me, Skip Howard. I'm pretty easy to approach. That's a great lesson in leadership you learned from Ross Perot Jr. as well, which is terrific. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you.
And thank you, everybody else, for joining me, for listening in. As always, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so that we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.